2: And welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that ventures into the vault of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them.
3: And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm trying so, so hard to catch up.
2: So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So Jake, here we are again. After mm, okay. six episodes over the summer, we're going to delve deeper. Uh, how's your education going? What films have we seen so far?
3: Um, well, I feel like I've maybe done my foundation course. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've, I've got uh, kind of a base knowledge. You've, you've managed to en- enrich my world in so many ways, Michael, perhaps beyond even the realm of Studio Ghibli. But mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot about these films. Um, I've really enjoyed a lot of them. Um, there's some that I've enjoyed more than others. But uh, it's safe to say my eyes have been opened mm-hmm. and I'm ready to explore. Yeah. If this is your first episode of we've previously covered Princess Monoki, Spirited Away,
2: My Neighbor Totoro, Grave of the Fireflies, Only Yesterday... Um, whisper at the heart come on your whisper favorite at the heart, my favorite oh god how could i forgive myself <laughs> um and if to it by way of reintroducing ourselves i'm michael leader i work for film four in my day job which is sort of the television home of Studio ghibli here in the uk and uh jake one day over the desk we were talking
3: we yes. found out that you
2: hadn't seen any of these
3: films. no i hadn't um so i produce a podcast for curzon cinemas here in the uk and uh i work on short films for channel four as well and uh I had this enormous blind spot for these, these wonderful animated films. And uh, the look on your face when I said that I'd never seen any of them, I'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget it either. But uh, we're well on our way
2: to getting you, kicking you into shape. And today we're going to cover another Hei Miyazaki film: It's Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> So, to start with, a plot synopsis for Howl's Moving Castle. In a war torn fantasy world, a young hatmaker named Sophie is cursed by the Witch of the Waste and turned into an old woman. Old Sophie soon becomes the cook and cleaner for a reclusive and moody wizard called Howl, who lives in a giant moving castle with his young assistant Markle and a fire demon called Calcifer. Reluctant to pick sides in the ongoing war, Howl adopts multiple disguises in public but soon the devastation comes to the castle's doorstep and as Howell plunges deeper into darkness, it is up to Sophie to bring him back into the light.
3: So we will later on get into my thoughts on seeing this film for the first time. Uh, But as we have done on all our episodes, it's it's time for a history lesson. This is my favourite section of the show where I get to kick back and feel what it would be like if Michael was a lecturer. Uh, to me for some time, which would be a wonderful thing. Tell me about Howl's Moving Castle. Settle in, Jake. Get comfortable.
2: <laughs> well, this is an interesting one because you have now seen the two films preceding this. You've seen Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. And for, in both those episodes, we talked about how these were films that almost enlarged Ghibli's standing on a global scale. And this is where it really pays off. So in 2001, Spirited Away comes out and it is a massive hit in Japan. It's still the highest-grossing film of all time there. Um, and Hei Miyazaki immediately announces he's going to retire from feature filmmaking. Meanwhile, 2nd of September 2001, Ghibli announced they're going to make Howl's Moving Castle, an adaptation of a young adult novel from the 1980s um, by Diana Wynne-Jones. And it's going to be directed, for the first time they announce, by an outsider, somebody who has no back history working for Studio Ghibli, and that guy's is Mamoru Hosoda, who at that point had only had one feature film credit as director, which was Digimon the movie, which is interesting concept, someone coming in from outside mm. to direct a big movie.
3: Well, I've heard that Digimon movie is very good.
2: I, I was always a Pokemon guy. i oh, sure. right, okay. Sorry, so Digimon, don't even talk to me about Digimon. Okay. But less than a year later, they issue another press release saying that Momo Hosoda is off the project, Miyazaki's coming out of retirement, and he's taken over. It's mm. so a really interesting one. I remember Momo Hosoda then go and have quite a, a, a you know, really good career as a director mm. in his own right, he immediately went and made a, a film called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, a sort of young adult romance, time travel sci-fi film. And I remember when that film came out over here, it had, would always have a sticker on in HMV saying, from the makers of Howl's Moving Castle, from the makers of Spirited Away. It's always confusing. Like, what do you mean by this? It's clearly not Stuart Ghibli. And it's because he was originally slated to direct. Right. Um, but it's only been very recently that he's been talking about what happened w- was it how. an amicable split well i've got some quotes here he recently <laughs> did an interview he's got a new film out that's in uk cinemas right now as of um, november 2018 called mirai mirai of the future yes. which is a historic anime film because it was the first film to have its world premiere in Cannes, the Cannes film festival uh, but he's had an amazing career where he made summer wars wolf children the boy and the beast and now mirai but back in 2002 he was out of a job And here's what he says in an interview with Polygon recently. I was really excited, but with Ghibli, there's a certain tone and rules we had to follow. I was told to make the movie similar to how Miyazaki would have made it, but I wanted to make my own film the way I wanted to make it. The difference between the film I wanted to do and how they wanted to do it was too great, so I had to get off the project. And reflecting on the experience, he said, if I had to make Howl's the way Ghibli wanted me to make it, I think my career would have been over. When I got off the project, people thought, oh, he failed, he's over, but it was a good thing i went on to do my own thing instead of making it the way miyazaki would have made it and he has had this amazing career um for, for a long time he was labeled as the next miyazaki um sort of struggling from under miyazaki's shadow and now he is one of the three or four big names in anime feature filmmaking in japan yeah which is hosoda that's a whole other <laughs> trail yeah i
3: mean once we once we do run out of ghibli films maybe that's The spin-off series we can do. The spin-off series, indeed. But let's
2: get back to House Moving Castle as Hei Miyazaki would make it. Mm. So this is a period where we've talked in the past about how Miyazaki has quite idealistic um, feelings behind his films, ambitions. He wants to inspire the youth. Whisper of the Heart we talked about where he wanted to give um, kids something to aspire to, a film that spoke to them on their level. And... The mood he's in, circa two thousand and one, two, three, four, is very gloomy in this post-9 eleven Iraq war. Sort of international um, landscape he's very gloomy (laughs) Um, and there's a negative worldview that sort of seeps into this film Mm. i found a a contemporary interview with sam brooks from the guardian where he talks about his feelings and he says personally i'm very pessimistic this is miyazaki Um, when for instance one of my staff has a baby you can't help but bless them for a good future because i can't tell that child oh you shouldn't have come into this world (laughs)
3: It's amazing how th- this trajectory from Totoro to Whisper to Princess Monroe to Spirited Away to this, it's amazing how much he has almost done a Benjamin Button and just
2: ended up
0: as
3: an emo teenager. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, or a very, very grumpy old man. There are the gifs out there
2: of him doing interviews or from documentaries where he's saying, oh, anime is a mistake. I've wasted my life. <laughs> Yet yeah, he can't retire. Right. Um, other, other quotes where he says about what he was um, going for with this film. Um, with these conflicting thoughts in mind, I think about what kind of films I should be making. And if as artists, we try to tap into into the soul level if we say that life is worth living and the world is worth living in then something good might come out of it maybe that's what these films are doing they're my way of blessing that child Mm -hmm. blessing the child that he secretly thinks shouldn't have come into this world which is a wonderfully conflicted way to further the greatest animated filmmaker of his lifetime of all time arguably um anyway that's where he was House of Castle comes out. It has its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival, so continues this feeling that Ghibli is something on the world festival yes, scale. Yes, and this Spirited Away was Berlin, mm-hmm. and recovering we're covering Venice as well. Exactly. Um, then released in Japan later that year, um, where it's a huge box office hit. Makes $190 million in Japan on release, sells 2 million units when it's released in home video. It didn't quite hit the highs of Spirited Away, but then nothing does. Um, and, but, but House of Castle is still in the sixth position at the all-time box office in Japan, which is no mean feat, behind Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, um, that, that recurring character in our <laughs> podcast chat. But then on the international scale, this is another notch where um, Disney are fully behind it. Yes. After spirited away, this time John Lasseter is back as um as the hype man for Ghibli in America. He assigns Pete Doctor, who by that point had co-directed Monsters Inc, would go on to make Inside Out and Up. He handled the English language dub, which I think arguably the cast they have here is incredible. Mm. There's a story I know you
3: like. Yeah, well, that Christian Bale saw spirited away and loved it so much that he immediately got in touch and said I want to do a voice on whatever the next film is so he's Howell but they also
2: have Gene Simmons, a great great Hollywood actress, Lauren Bacall as the Witch of the Waste, uh, Billy Crystal as Calcifer in probably the most Disney casting you could have Mm -hmm. you know Um, when it's released it does pretty well for a Ghibli film it's nominated for the Best Animated Feature uh, Oscar in a really good year Um, it's the only traditionally animated film in the category that year in fact it's up against two uh, stop motion animated films um, Curse the Weir Rabbit the Wallace and Gromit movie and then Tim Burton's Corpse Bride and it loses to Curse Mm -hmm. the Weir Rabbit um and then it's released internationally. Reviews are interesting, lots broadly positive as usual, but there are some mixed responses in there. The one that I've picked out here is from Roger Ebert, who for years beforehand was a champion of Miyazaki. He gives it two and a half stars out of four. He used to rate on a four-star system and with half stars, which makes things nice and complicated. But he says um, he couldn't possibly recommend it. As a film, uh, wow. while it's always wonderful to watch, it's a disappointment compared to his recent work. We grow impatient at spectacle without meaning, mm. which is maybe something for us to come back to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And to bring it all full circle, two thousand and five, September, October, maybe certainly the uh, autumn winter term of university. I see it in my first year <laughs> at Birmingham at the UGC Cinema. Uh, that's no longer called the UGC Cinema. It's a cine world now on Broad Street in Birmingham. I go down and see it in the English language version.
3: And you were disappointed.
2: I was disappointed, (laughs) mainly because of Billy
3: Crystal, but we can get to this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that's the context, Jake. Brilliant. That's all the history leading Mm -hmm. us up to House Boomer Castle, and more importantly, leading us up to you watching it in 2018. So, Jake, this is the third of the one, two, three punch of mm-hmm. Mononoke, Spirited Away, House of Castle, these big international hits for Ghibli.
3: Um, what were your expectations for it? Well, this is one of the last big ones off of the checklist, I think. Mm. Um, we we are doing our due diligence and balancing our series out for for every Spirited Away. There's an Only Yesterday as well. <laughs> um, and I think this is like one of the last at that tr- true top end of the spectrum of um, international popularity. Mm-hmm. And so I was aware of this film, um, We've spoken about iconography and um, like images existing outside of the realm of these films mm. and into expanded pop culture, which we will get into later. Uh, and there was stuff that I recognised from this, like Calcifer's Tongue and mm. the images of the castle itself. Um, and those, I think it, it was influenced by a lot of works and it subsequently influenced a lot of works and... Uh, So there's a film coming up produced by Peter Jackson called uh, Mortal Engines, which Mm -hmm. is about these enormous uh, kind of ramshackle moving cities that charge across the earth. And to me, they just looked like what I had seen of the images of Howl's moving castle. And it had this, uh, around 2006, there was that, that kind of post-grungy early emo panic at the disco type uh, right. craze um, uh-huh. which I was a teenager within that realm and Howl's was a big part of that culture as well mm-hmm. Like a lot of my friends um, like, really like, covered their laptops in stickers of Howl's Moving Castle okay. and things yeah, like that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'd never seen it as, as we know this podcast wouldn't exist <laughs> if I had um, and so that was my expectation this This is a bit on the, the emo side of things and mm-hmm. um, and it's less of the freewheeling Totoro type stuff um, yeah. that I was imagining. And then it, it all kicks off and we're into this magical world. Mm-hmm. That's something that I really love about the fantasy world um, of not going straight in with a kind of wide-eyed Harry Potter walking down Diagon Alley for mm. the first time throwing all of the imagination of the world and the ideas of the animators at you all at once mm-hmm. it's it's kind of drip feeding elements mm-hmm. of this world and it reminded me of one of my f- absolute favourite books which is Northern Lights part of the His Dark Materials oh, yeah. trilogy from um, Philip Pullman and how some of the world you just accept is different to our own mm-hmm. and then gradually you'll realise that oh that there are witches in this world and and it's just accepted because they are dropped in quite matter-of-factly and the way that this film deals with magic I think is really interesting um, that uh, a young boy suddenly has a, a hood and cape that he can wrap around himself and pull on a drawstring and he grows a beard mm-hmm. and everyone believes he's an old man um, and I really love that and it's interesting uh, what you mentioned about uh, Hos- Hosoda mm-hmm. uh, the director of um, Mirai mm. and his Introduction and exit to this film reminded me of Chris White's and Golden Compass. Yes. Of being uh, kind of brought in, not a big name at the time, to handle the adaptation of something really big, young adult, uh, fantasy, magical, almost medieval Victorian setting. And White has that same thing. Mm. And he ultimately leaves the project and then comes back and finishes it. And everyone knows that it didn't go very well but he said after a year when he left like that i couldn't deal with it like the amount of that people were getting involved and there was a identity that this film had to have and he was suddenly jumping up to a 160 million budget that he'd never had before and i just can't make this film
2: it's so interesting you're mentioning these ya fantasy films because ghibli is so often talked about in its own context and often devoid of outside context even within anime circles but landing in 2004, 2005, as this did, it's right in the middle of that time where many of the studios were trying to find their Lord of the Rings, find their Harry Potter. Yes. You had the Narnia films. You had the attempt at making Northern Lights films. Yep. Um, Percy you know, Jackson. Stardust. You have so many films around that time. And this does dial into that. It's a very British... I mean, it's adapted from a, a British English language novel. But it does have that that texture to yeah. it.
3: And, well, you, you've mentioned this to me, how much he loves Europe and... He's yeah, yeah. And, and this might be actually your first film that exactly. shows that. Yeah, and you've spoken to me about it. and I'm, I know there are a few films that will tick this box and this is the first time I've had that real crossover of culture. It's where this fantasy world, we see maybe three or four different areas of
2: it. Some look like maybe, I don't know... 18th century Denmark one area is very explicitly meant to be Wales it's this sort of mishmash uh, mm. with uh, elements of steampunk but then also high fantasy magic and so on it's quite a gumbo to, yeah. to get to grips with yeah and it's quite a world to grapple with this is
3: very full-on as a film mm. and then once the plot gets going it's even more, even more full-on yes you really get dunked into this don't you mm-hmm. um and I think we're split down the middle of, on our agreements of the two halves of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one really took me a while to get into because I think it's very exposition heavy mm-hmm. at the start. Um, and setting up who who our hero is, uh, a curse that befells, <laughs> um, who does who, that curse, The, the who basic relationships between all the characters. yeah, yeah. And that you've got, The main focus of the film is on a small selection of characters, but there's also a whole war going on in the background, of which we need to learn all the details of at the start as well. And it does get a bit messy. But I was also quite into just the workings of the world. Mm. Um, That when Sophie gets work in Howl's Castle, there is this doorway that depending on which uh, side of a twister wheel you end up on, which door you or when you open the door which world you end up in and little bits like that I really loved Um, but yeah I got a bit lost and noticed as I was watching it that I didn't actually fully know what was going on beyond the characters that we are given in Hal's Kitchen. And those are the ones that I really want to focus on. You
2: know, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but there is a certain point in Miyazaki's filmmaking where it feels that he's just less interested in making laser focused films. Mm. Totoro is the one I think I've said before, which is almost every minute is you know meaningful mm. and you know exactly what to feel, where it's going. The flow of the film, etc. Princess Mononoke is a complicated, complex film, but you, you, you're you there every second of the way. It never really, for, for me, is it, overburdened by its ideas and its complicated character relationships. Halsbyman Castle, I think, is one where Miyazaki lets it run away from him. but let's get back to maybe some of these key central characters locales and so on the moving castle itself that's something that when Miyazaki read the book what intrigued him most was what is this castle, how does it move, how does it actually look and you can really tell that he focused so much on the mechanics Mm. of a sort of a building with a face that's on chicken legs
3: (laughs) that will move yes, Um, and it it moves so well it moves um, with a a kind of feeling of like an old elephant on stilts. Uh, (laughs) It's got a a really... It it manages to be completely metal and robotic, but also human at the same time. And it becomes an extension of Hal. Mm. Um, And when Sophie becomes part of Hal's castle, what's great is that she enters out the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're presented with a story of high fantasy and... Uh, princes and queens and things like that you're so often used to those stories being told in the the high chambers Mm -hmm. and i love that the focus of the castle and most of the events that happen within the castle all happen in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and it's through these characters that are working and cleaning and cooking that the most important events in the story that we're being told in this world happen.
2: And that's a connection with Spirited Way. That's how hero is introduced into this world. It's such an interesting connection between those two films. But then Howell himself is such a fascinating character as a, you know, as a, a, as a mad bonkers wizard of, of a, of a, from a fantasy novel. He certainly doesn't look like a, a Gandalf or a no, Dumbledore. He, he's
3: very much a sexy flying David Bowie. <laughs> but also an emo David Bowie. He he
2: will be upset if his hair dye is misplaced mm. and he comes out as a ginger, which I, as a ginger myself, I found quite offensive.
3: <laughs> yeah, and um, it's interesting that Howl how is the title, or is, is the... The castle the, is the title. Yeah, the castle is yeah. the title, but Howl is referenced there when Sophie's really the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Howl is how's an interesting one. He's got um, some odd characteristics that in fact a few characters have that seem to reference Spirited Away or at mm. least bring some of their design over and I wonder if that was maybe some people at uh Ghibli thinking well Spirited Away was hugely successful and big internationally should we just make sure that there's some stuff that people know is has the same DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you <laughs> Howl is a bit of an emo boyfriend. Um, Exactly. And and it's a bit odd that Sophie kind of just uh, lives for him a bit. Well, it's something that watching these films
2: again, maybe a decade, well, a decade after, decade and a half almost, after I first saw it. That something that strikes me is after making a few films early in his career, Miyazaki, where these female characters are fully... It's their own story, their, their own lives, taking control of their own lives, finding their own identity and their own craft, in the case of Whisper of the Heart. We'll come to Kiki's delivery service, which is another film that does that both Spirited Away and Howl's Castle lumbers its main character with a very um, emotionally draining um, character where they have to do, it's a, it's a term that is bandied around a lot now, emotional labor for him. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there are moments where he goes into the depths of depression and it's just depicted as him going into a sort of um, brace crouch and this gloopy green... Substance covers him that when you touch him sticks to you, and it's the I mean it's only a momentary depiction, but it's clearly getting at something about you know, depression mm. and, and and having to to handle that as as one of the family and friends around it. Yeah. But it's strange that Sophie has to handle that her, herself, yeah. um, as opposed to and then as the film goes on, she needs to figure out what's wrong, at the, what's the, what is the bargain he made with Calcifer to say, you know, that, that gave him power but also took away his soul or his mm. heart. She has to figure that out as opposed to figuring out her own problems. She has um, issues with self-image. She says she's never been beautiful and now she's cursed with looking like a 90-year-old woman. It's not so much her finding her own authority anymore as helping another man and i don't know that's something that maybe didn't sit well with me yeah. watching it as an older person mm. but some things that do resonate with me now watching these films and i wonder if they resonate with you now you've seen a few of them this film solidifies so much of what is great about me as aki as a visual filmmaker as an imaginative filmmaker these threads where characters are defined by disguise or transformations or surprising turns mm. you mentioned markle who's the young boy who um uh, is it's. Is Sadly assistant. renamed from Michael. In, in, the, the, original in the book, case. he's Michael, but that's what a ridiculous name to have in a Japanese movie so it's called Markle um, he has that incredible disguise as an old man of course mm. you then have Howl who dons various disguises mm. at least names and identities throughout the film but then you have yeah, Sophie yeah like one of
3: them is Pendragon which yeah. very much is in that old English and uh, the great Real wizard Jenkins yeah.
2: as well um, or Sophie herself when she's cursed with looking like an old woman and she goes through the film and she receives love and attention she seems, or she has a moment of uh, of of, of uh, great bravery or courage she turns back into a more youthful yeah. character almost within the same
3: frame Yeah, and we're in that realm that Spirited Away is doing but maybe in Spirited Away that uh, idea of identity is attributed to one's name mm-hmm. that uh, Chihiro becomes Sen mm-hmm. and then like, uh, ultimately through that the process of the film and doing the work that she needs to do eventually is able to reclaim herself and understand herself and that's the journey that we go on through these transformations and disguises that someone like how who in the, the earlier scenes is this labyrinth Bowie-like character who's got this wonderful wonderful cape and earrings and dyed hair and looks fantastic. And ine- immediately, as audiences, we are completely enamored with him mm. as well. He's brilliant. Um, but we have to ultimately strip that back. And that's what all the characters will go through. One of the most interesting ones, I think, is the Witch of the Waste, who mm. I found as a fascinating character. She was the one that, curses sophie at the beginning this um enormous woman all dressed in black who at one point we see her being carried uh, in a cart and th- in the window is almost her entire face it's yes, that yeah. big and over the course of the film well actually not really over the course of it almost at the halfway point she becomes just an old old lady and it becomes yeah. a friend of the main character. And what someone who represented as a villain is not even defeated or anything like that. The idea of them being a villain is just removed from the table whatsoever.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, shes um, they remove her power, don't mm. they? And you find that she's been using considerable magic to keep herself youthful. Mm. So she's turned into this... Could have almost, yeah, eviscerated old lady. This is, but that gets to the heart of something else about Miyazaki, the sense of his um, reluctance or lack of interest in creating villains, antagonistic relationships, moral landscapes of good and evil. And that's something for me in the second half of the film, when it's about Hal's position within this war, but then the real battleground is within himself, um, that it starts to become a bit muddled. It's something that Roger Ebert in his review refers to as well What you say you I like I really like the second on. half
3: mm. but I think that's maybe because I am far more accepting of the moments uh, the comparison film for me for this from what we've seen already is Princess Mononoke, mm. which I think is going for a, a lot of plot and doesn't completely fit together and i know that's probably our most most controversial opinion (laughs) judging by the tweets um was my opinion on princess monarchy which didn't hang together at all and i just got a bit bored with it because i genuinely lost track of about five different factions all telling me where their fights are going on and the screen geography not making sense to me um and the best moments of that film are the bits where the narrative falls away Mm. and it's just the um the deer gods mm-hmm. kind of memorial or yeah. um transformation and that's just sat in the realm of visuals and audio kind of transcending everything else that's going on. And in Howls? Or what, what what are the moments for you there? Well in, in Howl's it's when it it slips again, all the the nonsense of the war and the different towns and everyone is slips away and it's moments where Hal and Sophie are in a flower field. Yeah. And it's just two people who really like each other standing mm. on a wonderful grassy bank with a perfect blue sky. You love those blue skies I and do, green, yeah. green grass. Um, don't you? And it just chills out. Mm-hmm. And I think the second half, of, the rhythm of the second half is a lot slower. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy to be in that world because it was almost telling me to f- like ignore everything that had set up beforehand as if that first half of exposition was an obligation to get audiences in the room to present them with this young adult mm-hmm. steampunk story mm-hmm. so that your reward is this more meditative second half.
2: Yeah, and having read that those quotes from Miyazaki earlier where he says that it's... The world is awful, you shouldn't be born, but if you are born, you might as well live life to the full or love yourself or whatever. Uh, You can kind of see that. Mm. The world is awful around you, therefore you might as well stand in a field with some laundry blowing on a washing line. I mean, I'd do that with you any day. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Um, But something I I do like about this film, I I feel like I'm quite down on it, but this film for me is almost the, the pinnacle of what I would call the jukebox Miyazaki, where... Everything everyone expects. Whenever The Simpsons or Bob's Burgers or whoever does a Miyazaki tribute, they look at films like this and pick... Mm.
3: The highlights, yeah. And well, it was as I said coming in. These are so many the moments stickers, that I knew.
2: The gifts. So It's the gifts. It's as you said, the Gifiotech. The Giffyotek. This is. Let's have the uh, Tech moment right here. Calcifer being used as a hob, mm-hmm. where Howell is making bacon and eggs. Mm. It's the most simple meal, but it looks the most delicious meal I've ever seen. And he's cracking the eggs and throwing the shells into Calcifer's mouth. Just an incredible little moment. Also, the character we've not mentioned, Turnip, Turnip Head, mm. who just shows up out of nowhere. of of a scarecrow figure that bounces along turns up at one point with an umbrella again a key Miyazaki thing people turning it with umbrellas um, but also he's key to the plot at the end yeah. one of those classic like with Spirited Away Miyazaki plots that can be resolved with one line of dialogue yeah. um, which well the less said about that the better uh, but then also this we talked before about Miyazaki cats the cat bus Whisper of the Heart this has a Miyazaki dog there are not many Miyazaki no. dogs out there, but Heen, who is this, what would you call him? He's a long haired, almost a schnauzer, I guess.
3: And he's got spaniel-like spaniel like. Spaniel schnauzer type
2: guy well. with a little squeak mm-hmm. as in, instead of a, a, a bark. One of the best little Miyazaki creations, mm-hmm. I think. There are many of these moments throughout this film and that's what I come back for. So even if I see negative about the plot,
3: the story, the themes, it's all these jukebox moments. I feel like you are repeating exactly what I said at the end of our Spirited Away episode when we revisit this film. But This, this is, is just, what we're going to come back to, is the moments.
2: It's the moments and maybe that will come to define this later period of Miyazaki.
3: Mm. Or This is probably a good way we're going, darting back and forth throughout his history. Yeah, but I think it's important now Uh, as we've hit our second series and we jump into a new batch of films let's start ranking them let's put Michael Leader's films on the leaderboard this is when I make Michael rank these films at the end of our first series the current leaderboard was in sixth position and breaking my heart every time I see it only yesterday in fifth Spirited Away Princess Mononoke in fourth, Grave of the Fireflies in third, My Neighbour Totoro in second, and number one, Whisper of the Heart. Where is Howl's Moving Castle going to go in this? I'm going to place a bet and say it's going to go below Spirited and above only yesterday.
2: Oh, Jake, you've just lost all your money. Um, I I feel like I should always say that this is gradations within gradations. These films, just because wherever this is landing doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad film or that it's awful, but this is probably bottom of the table for me. And, but you should be
3: happy yeah, about I'm, that. Yeah, I'm glad only I'm saying, yesterday is no longer the footer.
2: Because <laughs> it did break my heart uh, to s- sit here in front of you and our guest Robbie Collin that week and say, sorry, your favourite film is my least favourite <laughs> so far. <laughs> but no, I'd say that Howl's Moving Castle, whilst it is momentarily fantastic yeah. overall, it's number seven so far in the leaderboard. We've made a bad start to this new series, haven't we? But it's a big one. This is the (laughs) thing. It's one that everyone has seen. Behind Spirited Away or Totoro, this is one of the big ones. And we have quite
3: a mini-season ahead of us, don't we? We certainly do. And that will carry on next week. Um, We hope you've enjoyed your time in the Ghibliotech. The next episode we're going to do is going to be on Pom Poco, which for one reason or another, I've heard quite a bit about. Yes, exactly. Uh, this one like has... big things.
2: Big, round things. <laughs> yeah, dangly things. Uh, so, Pompoko, last season, we our second episode was Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, it's Hayao Takahata's you know, resounding classic, one of the greatest films ever made. And we're going to do the same thing. But it's more of a left turn than then. This is Pompoko, which is a magical tanuki gentrification testicular fantasy film <laughs> does Another that sound about one. right <laughs> yeah one of those ones right yeah. when, when will they stop making those yeah well jake i can't wait can <laughs> I. to see what you make of this one <laughs> this is by far the the weirdest one we had a lot of tweets and 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 feedback saying when are you going to get to pompoko and we're going to see that next week excellent i can't wait and finally big thanks to silk factory for the help making this new series we're recording today in their studio in sunny soho in london and they don't just make
3: podcasts. They're a full-blown film marketing creative agency, and they also make trailers and content for TV, digital, social platforms. Go and check out their work at thesilkfactory.co. And that really wraps things up. Until then, you can follow Michael on Twitter at @MichaelJLeader Michael J. And you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham.
2: is a Little Dot Studios production. We record at Silk Factory... Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Mo, and Steph Watts helps us out with all of our GIFs, images, and anything else we post online. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts, and Harold McShiel. That's me. I do the voiceover for the credits as well. Hi, folks. Thanks for sticking with us through the credits. We like to reward listeners with a bit of extra trivia at the end. So this one's a bit of an audience participation one. About 20 minutes into Howl's Castle, you see a boy running down the street outside the Great Wizard Jenkins shopfront. And he looks remarkably like Pazu, the main character from Miyazaki's Castle in the Sky. I've never been sure if that is him. It looks remarkably like him. Uh, Let me know what you think. But there is a connection between Howl's Castle and Castle in the Sky. Um, Howl's is set partly in Wales, as is the book that it's based on. And Cast in the Sky was inspired both by the landscape of Wales and the 1980s miners' strikes. So there is a connection between the two films. Maybe there's a link there. Let us know what you think.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.